Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. To start with, I'd like to share with you the following thought. And let me say that it's meant to be supportive, constructive, and compassionate to help you if you need help in a challenging time and separation often is very challenging. Here's my thought. Intention and attitude make a big, big difference to outcomes. That is what I believe very sincerely. Do I believe you can think yourself into a natural disaster or an accident? No, that is not what I mean. But over the years and based on my own spiritual practice, I have come to accept that we can prime ourselves, set ourselves up to process in a particular way, positive, negative, neutral, situations, events around us, relationships, and so on. And this applies to separation as well. And importantly, the often extensive reorganizing that comes after a couple splits, the necessary regrooving of paths, paths forward, sometimes even the refashioning of personal identities because so many people so closely identify with their relationships. I will say with confidence and I'm happy to be challenged uh, on this by you dear listeners you know where to find me. I will say with confidence that negative thoughts breed negative thoughts and action and then you get into a cycle I am not suggesting it's possible to cure clinical depression with a smile or a positive intention. That would be irresponsible on my part. But I am talking about everyday experience. If when you wake up in the morning you set your intention for the day 
a positive intention and you open your mind, good things can happen. Here's a fairly basic example. Perhaps it's too simplistic to use when we talk about an event as profound as a separation, but I will use it to illustrate my point. You have a meeting scheduled. There will be several people attending. Your participation in the meeting could really impact your boss's view of your knowledge about a particular subject. Perhaps it could lead to a promotion. Even before the meeting starts, you decide it's no use. It's a waste of time. You won't break through. It's pointless. I think most of us would agree you have already guaranteed the outcome this way. I will venture into a prediction that if you approach the meeting with a broad mental horizon, open to possibilities, Setting your intention to inviting opportunities, you will perform better and increase exponentially chances for a positive outcome. Yes, this does apply to a separation. I tell people coming to me for mediation, for example, that if they approach the process as simply an exercise in ticking off a box, as in, yes, we did try mediation. It's not likely to work. I get it. You have tried talking to the other parent like adults, and it has not worked so far. So why would it work now? I understand that you are skeptical, and healthy skepticism is not a bad thing. Realism is healthier, in my view, than blind optimism. But that is not what I'm suggesting. I am suggesting an open mind, a positive intention, an attitude of openness to possibilities. When you look at your mental horizon, picture a lovely sunrise at the end of the road, not another storm rolling in. Trust me, it makes a difference. I have seen this work in practice based on my work as a lawyer and mediator and also in my own life. I've taken us far off the road, so let's get back to divorce. The title of this podcast episode, the angry perhaps statement, I will never give you a divorce. It's something many of us have heard or read about in movies and in books. It's part of popular culture, part of the drama of life. The belief that one spouse must agree with the other to actually get a divorce. And so comes this defiant statement in the title. Maybe something a hypothetical wife may say to a hypothetical husband once he tells her the marriage is over. And we can reverse the genders or even talk about same-sex couples because in Canada, of course, marriage is possible between both heterosexual and same-sex couples. This misconception 
that one party must agree if the other is to get a divorce is still very common in the public sphere. So I thought I would address it here and talk a bit more about the divorce itself and why an applicant, a spouse requesting it, may be denied the divorce by family court. But let's first consider what is a divorce. Many people think of a quote divorce unquote as encompassing all of the issues that need to be tackled once a couple separates. So in the past, I have had clients come to me and say, I would like you to handle my divorce. And in this instance, they mean my assuming responsibility for helping them with sorting out all the issues that include everything related to the children, support, and property division. In other words, when using the word divorce, they mean the package. That is the common colloquial use of that word. In fact, technically speaking, a divorce is a decree, a pronouncement by the relevant court that a marriage between two people is legally over. In Canada, these pronouncements are no longer called decrees, but rather divorce orders. To clarify, the divorce is a unique and very specific request by one of the spouses who are separated, or sometimes both, because we can have joint requests for a divorce, to end, to dissolve the marriage legally. This is different than an annulment, which is a declaration that the marriage is void to begin with, that it did not take place. If you need more information about an annulment, it's important you get legal advice. But back to a divorce. I know that this may sound a bit confusing at the moment. What do I mean it's a separate claim? Does the divorce not come at the end of a case? Isn't it part of the package of all the issues that have to be sorted out when two people separate? The answer is yes and no. I mean, what would you expect from a lawyer? Let's consider the classic claims in a separation. The claims being what each side may be requesting from the other side, either in a court proceeding or even when parties are negotiating with the assistance of lawyers. Here are some examples of such claims. Number one all issues related to children, in other words, who will make decisions about them, where they will live, how holidays will be shared, how the parents will communicate about the children, what relationships they will have with extended family. In other words, the myriad of issues that separated parents need to address when it comes to their kids. These days, what we used to call custody is called decision-making responsibility. So that is what it is, how parents make decisions about their children. What we used to call access is now called parenting time. 
and we also talk about a residential schedule, which is the amount of time that children spend in each parent's care. All children's issues are potential claims that a parent might have before the court if necessary. Number two, support claims. And these may be related to either child support or spousal support or both. Again, a claim is a request by either party which must be based on entitlement under the law and supported by facts in the case that are relevant to the claim. I don't want to get too technical here about this issue, but think of a claim as a request. And when a claim is made before the court at the appropriate time, the presiding judge considers whether the claim is valid, whether it is based on fact and law, supported by the evidence, and that judge then decides whether to grant the request or not. Here's another example of a classic claim in a case of two separated spouses, and here these are spouses that are married to one another, and that is equalization. If you have been listening to this podcast, you know that in Ontario, this refers to a mechanism by which property and debts are addressed at separation. And Ontario's mechanism is unique to this province. And unlike that in any other province, we commonly call these property claims. And these may also extend to the matrimonial home, the cottage, and other property and debts either of the parties may have, or they may have together. And a divorce, the request for divorce by either a spouse or both of them is also a claim. If you have ever seen court paperwork for a classic family law case for married spouses, or if you are involved in a court case yourself, you will have seen the list of claims you made in your court case or that the other party made. And at the time of drafting these documents, your lawyer would have asked you whether you are claiming a divorce in your case. In other words, whether you are asking the court to grant you a divorce as part of the package. Most of the time, the request for the divorce itself is automatic and it routinely appears as part of the other claims. But this request is not mandatory, meaning there are situations where for technical or strategic reasons, one of the spouses may not want to ask for a divorce, but may make all of the other claims. Again, I don't want to get too technical here, but I did want to explain to you that the request for a divorce is in essence no different than a request for other issues in a standard family law matter. Of course, in case it's not obvious by now, this discussion relates only to married and separated spouses. 
because a divorce is not an issue for spouses who are in a common law relationship. No marriage, no divorce. Now that you understand a bit better what a claim is, and that a divorce is a potential claim in a family law case of two married but separated spouses, let's go back to the title of the episode and consider whether this threat is actually a realistic one in Canada, the I will never give you a divorce threat. So here's the punchline, and you may be asking yourself, what took her so long? She should have said all this 10 minutes ago, but you know, I do go on because my overriding intention is to help. Here we go. If one party wants out of a marriage, they will get a divorce sooner or later. And even if the other party does not want to cooperate. Unlike in the movies and perhaps in other jurisdictions, divorce paperwork does not get served on the other side with the expectation that the reviewing spouse signs it, meaning consents to the divorce. This is what separated spouses sometimes have in mind when they say, I will never give the other side a divorce. They think that by not signing some document, they can delay the issue of the divorce indefinitely. But this is not the case in Canada. There are some technical issues on who can request a divorce in Canada and when. There are also special rules related to those who are married in a place other than Canada. But setting those aside for the moment, generally speaking, either party can request a divorce from the court without the other side's cooperation. The decider on this point is not the ex-spouse. The decider as to whether the divorce will be granted or not is the court. Yes, court paperwork has to be served on the respondent, in other words, the other spouse. But there's no expectation that they sign anything at the time of service to either signal their cooperation or their displeasure with this state of affairs. Before I go on to discussing the main reason why a divorce request may be rejected by court, I want to touch on a few concepts, including collusion, connivance, and a refusal to grant a religious divorce. Very quickly, when two people enter into a sham marriage or create a fake separation date for their own reasons the court will have an issue with that. When a spouse alleges adultery as a basis for their request, but it's clear from the evidence that they knew about the extramarital relationship and essentially went along with it, the court will have issues with that. If one of the exes requests a civil divorce from the court, but that same ex is not cooperating in the 
religious aspect of the divorce process, like a get, for example, the court will have issues with that. These are all highly technical issues, and you really, really need to get legal advice if any of this stuff sounds like it applies to your case. The main, the most common reason why a request for divorce may be declined by the court, perhaps with the judge sending back the paperwork with questions, is child support. A family court judge will turn down a divorce request if he or she is not satisfied that proper arrangements for child support are in place. What does this mean? In Canada, contrary to public perception, child support is the right of a child and not the right of a parent. Our courts are empowered to protect children's rights to child support and judges work on ensuring that separated parents meet their responsibilities in this respect and that when child support arrangements are made they are in keeping with the law and not based for example on one parent being pressured by the other to agree to an unreasonable amount of child support or one parent choosing to walk away from support they can't why because it's not their right to give up remember they would be giving up on something that technically belongs to the children and not to the parent. So when paperwork is filed with the court along with a request for a divorce by either side, the court reviewing the paperwork must be satisfied that child support arrangements are in place, that child support is actually being paid, and more than that, the presiding judge needs to be satisfied that based on the law, the amount of child support matches the payer's level of income, or that if the parties are sharing the children's residence, that the child support arrangement is based on the relevant law as well. When the divorce paperwork is filed with the court, the form asks a series of questions the answers to which help the judge understand what the arrangements are, how they were made, who is paying, how much, and so on. Sometimes in order to help the judge understand the arrangements, we attach a copy of the separation agreement to the paperwork, or we refer to a court order that is already in place, one that deals with the child support issue. So in practical terms, if you are a payer of child support, you are a T4 employee and have no other form of income, the monthly table of child support you pay comes straight from the child support guidelines and you share the children's Section 7 expenses with the other parent based on the right percentages. Lots of technical terms here. I've addressed these points in previous episodes. So if you are that guy or gal, your divorce request is not likely to be challenged on this basis. 
but if the law says you should be paying $1,000 per month and you are paying nothing or just $100, be prepared to be challenged by the court. You need to have a good explanation. And there are options here. For example, you may have transferred your share of the house to the other parent. So your child support is reduced. But at the very least, the judge will have questions and you need to be prepared to give an explanation. And if you can't answer those questions to the court's satisfaction, your request for divorce will be denied. Again, the denier, so to speak, will be the judge, not your ex. And the reason will be ensuring your kids' rights to child support are protected. Back to the example of the T4 employee. If he asks the court for divorce, proper arrangements for child support are in place, the ex was properly served, and there are no other technical issues, the divorce will be granted, even if the other side does not agree. He or she cannot interfere with the divorce simply on the basis of anger or vengeance alone. To complete the picture in Canada, the legal end of a marriage can come as a result of only one party deciding that it's over. The parties don't have to agree on this. So extending this principle to the divorce itself, one party can request it, and unless there are legal reasons for denying the request, the court will grant it, even though the other spouse may not want the marriage to end. Lots of fairly technical stuff today. I did my best to put it in understandable language. I hope that worked to some extent at least. If you have questions, as always, please reach out. I am easy to find on the web. Once again, if you are splitting, try and make it a sane split. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.